We need to talk. It's a scary line for sitcom spouses all over the networks, but it's such a true statement in our culture today. We need to talk. We need to learn how to lean in to difficult conversations about topics like race and gender and pronouns and CRT and all kinds of things. And my guest today is somebody who's doing that really, really well. Melinda Hale is a musician, a podcaster, content creator, and just an amazing human being. And you're going to love meeting her and hearing how she is getting people to talk in our culture today about the things that you and I simply do not want to talk about, but we need to talk about. I hope you'll listen to this episode and hear how a humble heart can change everything in the process. And also be listening in to hear how you can get an ebook we have to offer for free. And also don't forget, if you like what we do in the Pastor Paul community, go to the website, pastor-paul.com, click on that support Pastor Paul button and be a part of financially giving in to what we do to tell the world that God is not mad at you. Now to this edition of the podcast with Melinda Hale as our guest on the Post Evangelical Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Glad you're with us. And I have a, a special guest today. I, I don't know if I ever had a guest where I said they're not special. I don't know. That would be pretty weird. But uh, I'm really excited to talk to our guest today. Uh, a singer, songwriter, social activist uh, in, in the social justice space and a host of a podcast called Hashtag We Need to Talk. Melinda Hale joins us today. And Melinda, glad to have you with me today, even though my computer's making some noise here. But <laughs> no problem. Thanks that for joining to me. me for the podcast. Of course, that happens to me all the time. Whenever I'm doing a podcast, everyone decides they need something from me at that time. And they're calling or FaceTiming. So Isn't it thank true? you for we, having me. If you have a dog bark in the background, you're like, I'm sorry. And we're all just like, hey, yeah. part of the gig now. <laughs> it is. It? it truly is. You just got to <laughs> go with the flow. Well, I'm so glad you're with me and love. I've been checking out your podcast, uh, the hashtag we need to talk. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how you got where you are. Um, you have some church background. You're sort of in this space we we call deconstruction. Some yeah. people are kind of rolling their eyes. But what has been your <laughs> spiritual journey over the last few years? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't know the word deconstruction until the last year, honestly. But knowing what it is, I'm like, I've been deconstructed for quite some time. And, you know, I've been uh, I've been a part of the church since as long as I can remember, you know, since I was five years old, I grew up in the church, grew up singing in the church. And my, I, I'm very blessed, I feel, to have grown up more so in a very liberal progressive space. And I didn't really know the extent of what more conservative evangelicalism was until I got to college. But I mean, when I would read Bible verses in church when I was like five years old, I would always add, whenever it said he, I would say, or she, I was already that type of kid because I was like, why is there no, you know, no one's talking about women in the Bible. Why does it say this? Why does it say this? And I always asked questions. And my mom said, I was always just inquisitive. I questioned everything. So my spiritual journey, <laughs> I feel like it started when I was five, to be honest. But I really, when I got to college, I went to Azusa Pacific University, and that was more of a 
conservative Christian space that I wasn't used to being around from how they worshiped to how they talked to how they viewed the Bible verses in the Bible. And I say this often, I went into that school pretty liberal already. And I came out super, 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 super liberal because I was just completely opposite of everything that they stood for and and expressed. And it was very confusing to me, just certain views on race, certain views on the LGBTQ community, certain Bible verses, how they were interpreted, what was expected of women. And I was, yeah, there was a lot that I just wasn't aware of. And I would say since college, just my church experience has been, you know, uh, very diverse in terms of I was an assistant worship leader at a mega church in New York and that wasn't for me to just going back to those small churches that are really really diverse and affirming and really just want to do good in the world and that's where my heart lies so I've been around a lot heard it all seen it all and um, I I'm, I'm lucky um, where I've landed and for me it's just it's not even just about being a Christian but it's about following Christ which I feel like we've seen are two different things now in 2022 <laughs> saying you're a Christian and following Christ. So that's just kind of where I landed. And it's really just about figuring out how to love others and serve others and help others. And just no matter what our views are, just trying to always come from a place of love. And well, that's an interesting thing. What is that? I just did a webinar called, Am I Still a Christian? And a lot of people are asking that question. What what does Christian versus follower of Christ look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's so unfortunate because I do think that the the label of Christian has been co-opted in, in a negative way. And I feel like it's almost like at the point when you have to say, well, no, I'm not that type of Christian. You know, I'm this type of Christian. You're defending <laughs> your identity in a sense, which is so funny because you would think that that would also bring about some empathy with certain people, you know, having to explain what kind of Christian they are. It's like other people have to defend their identity as well. So for me, you know, be, being a Christian now Unfortunately, it is um, tethered to a lot of hate, a lot of negativity, a lot of judgment, and worshiping all the wrong things. And I think being a follower of Christ is really trying to always lead with love, no matter what the situation is. And unfortunately, we as a society, and it's not even just Christians, it's just as a society, we've gotten away from treating people with respect and, and loving them and trying to just talk to people and understand their stories and their perspectives. We're so stuck in our own ways that we don't really want to open our minds. So for me, you know, I say I'm a Christ follower. What did Christ do? He was out in the field talking to people, you know, being there for the least of these, all of that. And that's what I'm trying to do and emulate in my journey. I obviously fail often because we're not perfect and none of us are ever going to be actually like Jesus, but the point is to try. Yeah. So I want to show people what you do in, uh, in your space and on your social yeah. media. So this is um, your TikTok page. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm like you, like it's it's only been a couple of years I even knew TikTok existed. And Same. I, and when it first came out, I was like, I don't know how to TikTok. Now I love it. Now I love it. <laughs> well, let, let me show people what you do. This is uh, at Melinda Hale official on TikTok. And here she is. We aware that Joe Biden has officially nominated Katanji Brown Jackson to serve as the first black woman on the United States Supreme Court. And of course, people have issue with him nominating a black woman simply because she's a black woman, because they think the next Supreme Court justice should be based on qualifications and not on race. We'll get into her qualifications in a second. Now, had Biden not announced that he was going to be nominating a black woman and simply just nominated a black woman, people still would have said that she only got nominated because she's a black woman. 
people like Tucker Carlson, who just yesterday said America deserves to see her LSAT scores, which is funny because I don't remember him asking for the LSAT scores of Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett. But I digress. And speaking of qualifications, did you know that there's actually no constitutional qualifications for being on the Supreme Court? Which is actually great because Katanji went to Harvard Law School. She was the editor for Harvard Law Review. She did three clerkships, one which was for the Supreme Court, and she also was a district judge for eight years. And yet, because she's a black woman, her qualifications are being questioned. But we make everything about race. So by now, you're probably aware that Joe Biden. Oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to gotta hit him really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have a lot of time on this. Yeah, you got to admit it. You got to admit it. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that, you know, for Justice Brown, she's going to have to be better than other candidates, right? She's got to yes. prove that she not only is, is qualified, but overqualified for yeah. the job, doesn't she? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I just shared on on Twitter a couple of days ago, just my own personal experience of being in, in academics. And I shared how, um, you know, I was I was young. I, I graduated high school at 16, college at 20. I skipped kindergarten. I learned kindergarten for three months and then I went straight to first grade because I was reading at a first grade level. And my mom remembers being having, you know, having my knowledge at five years old be questioned because we grew up in Santa Barbara and it's a predominantly white town. And they tested me twice because they didn't believe that I actually was reading. And they had, you know, skipped other kids and other kids were doing well, but they just, for some reason, they couldn't believe that I um, was as smart as I was. And, and, and also in high school, I had the second number highest number of awards won by a senior that year. I was the lead in the school play several times and my race always became a factor. And I think that people don't realize, just as you said, that we do have to prove ourselves more because there is this mindset that for some reason the black community isn't up to par for some odd reason, which I find very hilarious because I think we've proven in our history that we've been hard workers and we know how to survive and we know what we're doing. But yeah, she is going to have to work twice as hard as everybody else and be very, very careful of what she says, what she doesn't say. And there's this kind of mental gymnastics, I feel like, that a lot of specifically Black women have to go through um, when they're in situations like this that other people don't have to. Mm. You know, I... Uh, my deconstruction from growing up in a very conservative evangelical home really began in the GW Bush administration. But, mm. I, you know, I, I honestly, I voted for, for Barack Obama the first time he ran for president because I just felt like something in my spirit said, I just think this is right. Yeah, and yeah. I remember seeing, you know, 70-year-old black men crying that night because they never believed they would see... Yeah. Uh, a person with uh, of color be president. And that was when I think I really came to understand the racist foundations mm. of my church heritage. Now, I have a whole bunch of friends that would say, oh, no, that's you're being divisive. You're being racist. But you said you were confronted with this when you went to Azusa Pacific, which is a school very much in the, the lineage of my Christian heritage. What what did that confrontation of, of race in a Christian environment look like for you, if you can share that? Whew, yeah. <laughs> it's just like... Because we're not racist. So we're, we're Christians. We're not yeah, racist. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, is that you would think that, right? You would hope that people that claim the faith of Christianity would understand how 
to not be racist and would actively be anti-racist. But a lot of the things that I came up against, and people are going to say because they never said anything direct about my race, that it wasn't racist. But Mm -hmm. that's when people need to start understanding what microaggressions are and what this subtle racism is. It's not overt, but it doesn't mean it's not racism. But so often in those spaces, I would get told that, oh, I don't, I don't see you as black. I just see you as Melinda. And oh, I hate that. The, it's the, the I worst. don't see color is ridiculous. It's the worst because you are completely erasing another human being's identity to make you feel comfortable. And I think that what people don't understand is that we want you to see color. We just don't want to be judged because of it. I can't right. do anything. This is how God made me. God made me this beautiful black woman and that's who I am. And you just need to accept that. But I'm not any different from you because of it. We're just, and I think that's the beauty of the world is that everybody looks different. We should all have our unique identity, right? But that was one of the the biggest things that I got because there's a lot of assumptions because I grew up in Santa Barbara and my parents had ended up moving to Beverly Hills area that like I was a different kind of black person, which then goes into the further conversations of, well, what does that mean? What what do, you, what do you mean I'm a different kind of black person? What is your perception of blackness? What what do you expect me to be? And of course, I wasn't the one. And they realized that. And they realized, oh, okay. Um, and so the, those a lot of those conversations happened often because they just assumed because I was educated, because I didn't grow up in poverty, that you know they had this stereotype of what a black person was supposed to be. And they didn't have a... Um, they didn't have the exposure to a variety of, of black people to know that we're not a monolith and that we all have different experiences. But it was interesting because those types of questions and that type of mindset was never presented for any of my white uh, peers, you know, even though people grew up in different areas and some people had accents, some people didn't, but it's never that kind of conversation that takes place when it's just a white person, but when it's people of color, those conversations would always come up. I hope you're enjoying this discussion with Melinda Hale as much as I enjoyed having it with her. These are things we need to hear. Let me take a moment from this discussion to tell you about something really cool that we have coming up. It is our free ebook. The Making of Joseph. Joseph Comes to Town is the novel I wrote with my imagination of what Jesus would say to the evangelical church and right-wing conservative Christianity were he on earth in the flesh today. And this free ebook, The Making of Joseph, tells how the book came to be, how I felt inspired to write it, and it even includes the first three chapters of my novel, absolutely free when you go to my website and sign up. All you have to do is give us your email and you'll be on our insiders newsletter list and you'll get the ebook absolutely free. Pastor-Paul is the website and I would love for you to go there and find all the great resources we have to offer and up our free ebook, The Making of Joseph. And don't forget the first three chapters of my novel are included in that ebook and you can have it absolutely free just for giving us your email address and joining our insider newsletter email list. I know your inbox is sacred 
and I don't take it lightly when you offer it to me. So we promise we will not spam you and kill you with email, but we will let you know what's going on in the Pastor Paul community and all the great things going along as we continue to have discussions about deconstruction and walking out our emotional and spiritual well-being together. I hope you'll go check it out at pastor-paul. Dot com. Now, let's get back to this great discussion with Melinda Hale. And don't forget, when you sign up for the Pastor Paul community, you get special bonus episodes and you'll be able to hear more about Melinda even after the end of this podcast. Stay tuned to hear more about that. Now back to the podcast with Melinda Hale on the Post Evangelical Podcast. I'm still I'm still on this journey and still learning and I I want to continue to be on that journey and and for me some of it was just a matter of learning what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um and, and probably being able to admit that you didn't know it too. Yeah, yeah it's the humility part. It's and it's it, it's embarrassing and none of us want to be embarrassed and say we we're unaware. And that's where I see it in Christianity is the Christian church is doubling down and digging in. And and I really think it was Jesus was talking about, you know, you'll have people without eyes to see or, or ears to hear. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, just like you say, to have the humility to hear for my wife and I, a friend of ours sitting us down and saying, you know, let me tell you about my younger years driving while black, you know, mm-hmm. or let me explain what I have to teach my son about being stopped by a police officer. And, and even those are the overt things. And I, I think even the less overt things has been even, you know, sort of the focus on the family, um, traditional family, like words like traditional family or those to learn that those are actually white Euro culturally based standards that, that are inherently racist mm-hmm. has been I, I mean am i am i sort of on track with how you see that racism 100 percent, 100 percent. and there there's definitely i love that you brought up the like the traditional family phrase because i think that people have operated and specifically in white evangelical spaces that white is the standard and um it's frustrating because that also completely negates anybody else's experience unless it is from that white Christian conservative experience. And, you know, it comes down, I've made this joke before because a a lot of the um, points of contention I've heard recently, you know, when we're talking about social justice and CRT and diversity and representation, you know, people get very upset by that, right? But at the same time, for example, white evangelicals made Jesus a white man in almost every Mm -hmm. picture. So it's not that they don't understand representation. It's not that they don't understand what it means for people of color to see themselves. They just think that they're the only ones that should be seen and represented and validated. And that's what people like me are trying to change, that we as humans also deserve to have the things that you have had for so long. (laughs) And and we can dig deeper into that. I think we probably chased all the racist away already from the podcast, unfortunately. But if not, or or those who don't, I hope they stayed. I hope they stayed. <laughs> I, I was I was talking with somebody about this this week, and and the conversation was how do we get 
white conservative people to the table of the discussion when when they're just unwilling to go to a table where they believe they're going to be called a racist. You have a podcast called Hashtag We Need to Talk. How do we get people to the table of discussion about these really hard issues when we're all sort of running to defend our community narrative? For sure. I mean, I think it's also about the approach. You know, if I don't believe in coddling, but sometimes you just got to go that route, you know, in order to get people to come. But I think it's all about the approach, just saying, and I've said this before on other podcasts, ask them, well, what do you want? What do you, what is important to you? Okay. So let's start there. And then, well, why don't we all get together and talk about this? Because we, we want to get to some sort of mutual understanding. So let's have a safe space where you can say your views and then you have to be respectful and listen to other people's views. I think it's just about how you present the opportunity. Because if you just say, Hey, we're having this conversation about race. Do you want to come there immediately? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, right? You, they're like, nope, no, I'm, I'm going to stay home watching whatever, right? But if you say, hey, I would really love to hear your perspective on this. Would you mind coming to this? I think that that's the way to do it because that shows that you do care what they have to say, but also you do have the, you know, agenda, quote unquote, of trying to get them to understand a different perspective. But I do want to hear the perspective. And I think part, what I've realized in a lot of the conversations I've had via social media is that a lot of these people that do have these archaic views about race and, and gender and everything, is that their bubbles in their world is so, so small. It's so small and they haven't had the opportunity to even one meet a person of color. All they know of people of color is probably what they see on the news, which is probably something negative. So I have empathy in that case because they truly are ignorant, but it's sometimes not their fault. Mm. And and I think that we have to remember that, that a lot of these people are not exposed to anything outside of their little small town or wherever they live, especially if they live in middle America. I mean, all the progression is happening like on the East and West Coast and it's moving in. So if they're in the middle, they're going to be the last ones that are going to get this experience yeah. of knowing anything. Right. So we just have to approach it that way and not really blame them, but try to lead them. Well, you have to have a big heart to yes. be willing to coddle us, let me tell yeah. you. And I definitely have some friends, my wife and I work in our social justice space, who are like, no, we're done coddling you guys, you know? Go, yeah, I get go, it. It's frustrating. Yeah. Go get your education and learn. And <laughs> and there is a part of me that wants to say to white people, and particularly white evangelicals, like, God damn it, like, you should want this to not be in you. If yes. Why can't we say... If there is racism that I'm blind to in me, I want to know. Yeah. I want it to be pointed out to me so I can yeah. get it out. Why? I don't understand why that's not our heart. Well, ignorance is bliss. And I think that that's <laughs> what it is. It truly is that. Ignorance is bliss. If you don't, and the, the other thing is, if you are aware, then what does that say about you if you don't do something about it? Yeah. So they would rather not be aware because they don't want to have to fix it or do the work. It's a lot of work to reverse things that you've learned, grown up with, been taught. I, like, again, I have empathy for that. It's hard to reverse everything you've been programmed and conditioned to think. But once you know, it is now your responsibility to either stay the same or grow and change. And yeah. I think that 
that is a scary place to be. And I understand that. But how else are we supposed to make a better world for ourselves and, you know, for generations to come if we don't actually try to grow and progress? And I think from a spiritual perspective, it's it I keep saying it's a command of the Bible. You know, this don't be hard hearted like your fathers were yeah. in the desert. You know, I think all of those are you know, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. I think all of those things are saying to us, we should be challenging these norms on a regular basis. And isn't that what Jesus did when he was, when he sat with the Samaritan woman at the well, he was, yeah. he was breaking racial and gender norms of the culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shouldn't we, if we're Christ followers, shouldn't we do the same? I completely agree. And someone pointed out to me a while ago, and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. But the difference between progressives and conservatives, obviously conservatives conserve what they already have because they're comfortable with it. But progressives, they want to progress and grow and move forward. So that's what we're always trying to do. And that's different. So I get those words probably freak people out, but that's exactly what it is. So we just have to figure out a way for conservatives to understand why progression is a positive thing. Yeah. And it's hard, but that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're supposed to learn and and grow and 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 honestly like politically I don't think either side has it all right and I think mm -mm. we need to be tugging and pulling against each other but but it seems to me that that system has broken down because yeah. there's one side now that's just trying to preserve everything of of even, you know, the idea of make America great again to find the pain that that term in and of itself and the support of Trump caused for our brothers and sisters of color yeah. in our churches was yeah. was really startling and again should be something that humble what what did that all feel like for you Well for me I I was just like well okay what point are you talking about like you're saying it again, so that means you're referencing something from the past. So what specific era are you? Because if we look at different eras, you know, by the decade, what was the greatest decade for America that you are speaking about? And there really truly hasn't been one for people of color. So we knew what make America great again actually meant, you know? And and that's what, and that anytime I asked somebody, I was like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is wrong with America now and how it's progressing? What they, I never got an answer. You know, I never got an answer, right? There was no actual like reference point or example or anything, because I think also if they had to do that, they would have realized what they were saying. So it, it was hard to see that because it did feel like, Everything that had happened in terms of progress, they didn't want it. They wanted to go back to a time when we weren't speaking out, when people weren't more aware. When people knew social their media, place, right? When people, quote unquote, knew their place. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you look at things like Colin Kaepernick kneeling, for example. The most non-offensive thing that you could possibly do, and it caused an uproar. Okay. You don't want people to protest. Okay. Well, I want you. It's fine if you protest, but do it peacefully. Okay. They do it peacefully. 
I don't want you to do that either. The problem is they don't want you to do anything, right? right. They just don't even want you to speak. So we we understand that. So it, it was hard. Well, isn't to that speak. the CRT thing? We don't we don't want our kids to be uncomfortable in school without thinking that people of color have been uncomfortable for years based <laughs> yeah. on the curriculum that's been in schools, right? Because that doesn't matter. Right. So yeah, and, and that thing is 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 really frustrating for me. And I even I did a, a TikTok or a um uh maybe a reel about this, but I talked about how you know with all of these parents that are complaining about that, about that discomfort and and not wanting their kids to feel this way or they're feeling like they're racist or they're feeling marginalized or pushed out and evangelical Christians feel like, you know, there's no Christian values, Christians are being persecuted. When does the empathy kick in? Like mm. if you're feeling that, when are you, when is that light bulb going to turn on that you're like, oh, this is how people of color have felt this entire time. I get it now. <laughs> I got it. I, I have a, the, the story that I have about that. That's so you're so right on is uh, again, my wife and I were talking to some friends of ours and, and my wife, she kind of runs into this from time to time. She's like, I've got these people telling me these people, sorry to even use that terminology. But <laughs> there are those that will tell me, Hey, white girl, you know, speak up, you know, use your voice. And, and she was a former mayor of our city. So she has okay. some voice in our space and, yeah. and they're like, speak up. We need you to speak out. And, and then she does. And then there's, there are others that say, who are you to speak for us, white girl, you know, kind of thing. And, yeah. and she says to our friends, like, I can't win. And exactly as you just said, our friend says, welcome to our world that yeah. we've been experiencing for the last few centuries. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, what? I, I also have empathy for that. And again, I do have a very big heart. I get the frustration on the side of people that are trying to do better, but get stuck between a rock and a hard place of feeling like, I'm speaking over a marginalized voice as a white person, but also if I'm silent, then those marginalized people get upset with me that I'm not saying anything. And it is a hard balance and it's hard to navigate and I don't envy it. I get it. It's frustrating. But I think at the end of the day, speaking out is more important than being silent because I think silence is complicit. You know, you're being complicit in other people's actions and views. So I'd rather speak out, but I would say that the biggest way to do that, to avoid the, hey, who are you to speak from, speak for us, is to ask those people, hey, what's the best thing for me to say to help in this in this place and help in this spot, you know? Because I think then you're acknowledging and also centering the right voices as opposed to your own. And it's almost, I don't want to say it's asking for permission, but it is asking for guidance. So I love when people come to me and say, hey, I want to speak out, but I don't know what to say. And I'll give them a resource or say, hey, please post this, please say this, this is important. And they thank me. And I'm like, you know, you can even tag me in your post. So people know that I'm like, if you're, that I told you to do this so that you don't get any flag, but saying, hey, thank you, Melinda, for sharing this with me, blah, 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 blah. So I think that's the best way to navigate that. But it is difficult because I get that people of color in general are very frustrated feeling like their voices aren't heard. And even if they're saying the same thing as someone that's white, the white person's voice gets listened to way quicker and more often. And so, yeah, it's just, it's hard to navigate. It really, really is. Yeah. And and again, I, I just say to my my white friends, get over yourself. You know, <laughs> if, if you step on a landmine and it and it causes you discomfort. It's it's part of the journey. It's it part is. of life. It's part of relationship. Yeah. We gotta we gotta get be willing to get messy with one another. I think yeah. for this to work. And how has that gone for you as you're doing hashtag We Need to Talk? Are you 
Are you hopeful? Are you finding success in having these conversations? I feel like I am. And I think just by the sheer amount of comments and questions and messages I get of curiosity, of follow-up, I think that that's so important that people feel like I am a safe space that they can reach out to, which I, I hope everybody always feels that way, no matter what side you're on. Um, I think that people are surprised if I'm approached with vitriol and I, they don't get a fight back from me because, I mean, sometimes I will, but most of the time I don't, you know, give you the fight that you're looking for. And then if I treat you with kindness, it makes them kind of put a mirror in front of their face and like, oh, why should you be nice? I'm being awful. Like I was hoping she'd be awful back to me type of situation. So I think um, the podcast has really opened up a lot of doors for those conversations. And I don't shy away from anything. So I... I hope it continues to be successful and continues to grow and that people, yeah, will just always feel comfortable reaching out to me if they need to, because I'm, I'm never afraid to have a conversation or try to help guide somebody or lead them to an understanding. Tell people quickly where they can find you on social media, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just Melinda Hale on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, M-A-L-Y-N-D-A-H-A-L-E. And then on TikTok, I am Melinda Hale Official. I try to always answer DMs, so please message me. And um, yeah, my website is also melindahale.com. Yeah, very good. So I'm going to keep talking to you a little bit more for our uh, pastor-paul.com subscribers, and we'll talk a little bit more about your personal journey. And I want to talk about how gender comes into play in this, because I hear you mentioning gender and veganism on your yeah. website and some other things. And so those of you who are subscribers, you're going to get a little bit more. But Melinda, appreciate you being on the podcast with me of today. Of course. Thank you for having me. 